The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers now and in the future, that's a clue, in the future, you are in the right place. Today's buzz is the crystal ball. We are peering into what's coming next. Okay, let's talk about it. Change. Oh, what a big word. Change is inevitable. We know that you can't stop it. You can't fight it. It's going to happen. But today's unprecedented pace and scale of change presents unique challenges for the future of business. Futurists worldwide are scratching their heads. They're peering into that crystal ball. They're opening up the lens on the microscope and the telescope. They're examining and assessing potential business impacts of new and emerging business paradigms. Very important word for us today. Energy innovations, physical digital boundary blurring, and business decentralization, among many other global drivers. There are implications here. It's loaded with implications for leaders of the future. And guess what? Many of those leaders for the future may already be in place as leaders right now, or they may be being groomed as future leaders. Very important discussion. We're talking about every industry, every business, every footprint on the global landscape. We've invited back a panel of experts. They are top of the line. They know what's coming in the future. You don't want to miss this. So let's kick off our show with Frank, Diana, Principal in Business Evolution at TCS. And Frank has sent me a quote from Rohit Talwar. We'll talk about Rohit in a minute. Here's the quote. We are entering a world where everything we know and understand about the purposes of business and the mission of our own organization will be challenged. And Frank, if you take the word challenged and you get rid of the L-L-E, you have the word changed. Did you know that, Frank, Diana? I do now. I do, too. I'm staring at it. Frank, Diana, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Delighted to have you back. So talk to me. Interesting quote. Tell me a little bit about who Rohit Talwar is, and uh, tell me about how this quote is so meaningful to our topic today. Okay, great. So Rohit is uh, CEO of Fast Future Research, and they just released a book called The Future of Business this past June, and this is a quote from that book. And uh, it's a very meaningful quote for me, one, because it's hard to read a book like that and not change your perspective in terms of the future and what might be coming and its implications to not just business but governments and society in general. And I view that this kind of quote as a call to action. It challenges what we know. So there's that word challenge again. Because we have a certain set that we consider rules of the game that really are entrenched in the things that we've done for years. There's a belief system that's in place. 
And quite frankly, there's going to be a reframing of that belief system, a resetting of those rules of the game. And quotes like this, I really do think, are like called action. And one of the key things that uh, people like Grace Scott, who was uh, an author in that book as well, uh, help us to do is to kind of focus on that future. But uh, Timo Elliott, our other panelist, helps us to actually connect that future to actionable steps. And I think that's the critical thing in the future. How do you look forward but connect it to actionable steps today? Very well put. Thank you so much, Frank. And again, delighted to have you back. And you've already done my job for me, Frank Diana. You've pre-introduced my panel. And yes, we are delighted to have the futurist of our panel today, the official futurist, Gray Scott. He's a techno-philosopher and emerging technology expert. And Gray is quoting himself. He is a contributor to Rohit Talwar's book, The Future of Business. Congratulations on the book just being published a few weeks ago. And here's the quote. We are becoming a digitized species. We are heading toward a crunch in digitization. We are crossing the computational event horizon into a digital black hole. I think I'm excited and scared at the same time. Gray Scott, welcome back. How are you, Gray? Uh, Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. I'm doing well. Congratulations on the book coming out to you and Rohit and everybody else who contributed. So tell me, a lot of important words in here, digitized species. What does that mean to us, Gray? Well, what we really have to think about here is that every time we interact with social media, every time we upload a file from our businesses into the cloud, that is a process of digitizing our information. And we see this happening on every level in our lives from digitizing our experiences. When we go on vacation, we take digital pictures. When we write our blogs, when we post our annual reports in digital form, all of those pieces are creating this computational event horizon that we are about to cross where there is more information that's digital than there is in the real world. And you have to also remember, we've talked about this before in the last show, that we are becoming a species of digital hoarders. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. How many vacation photos do we take and we don't delete those images? We never even look at them. So we, are, we have to crunch our, uh, our information if we don't delete that information. So that's a really important thing for us to talk about later in the show. Very interesting. That, that's such an interesting point because, yes, we are digital. Yes, we want to capture everything. And, and you know, Gray, I have so many people, in my, older people in my family who say to me, why are you taking so many pictures? What are you going to do with them? And I simply mm-hmm. say, I'm going to look at them and enjoy them. What do I have to do? And the answer, question comes back, are you going to print them out? Are you going to put them in an album? <laughs> Are you going to post them? So the answer is no. I'm just going to leave them on my phone or my iPad, and I'm going to enjoy what they meant in the memories. Oh, the answer is, oh, do you need so many? And the eyes roll. Do you have to take another 20 pictures? Yes, I do. You're right. Very apropos. And by the way, uh, Frank Diana is not only speaking on the show today, he is tweeting, and he just captured your comment, we are becoming a digitized species. Thank you, Frank, for that. Gray, delighted to have you back. And again, congrats on the book. We'll talk to you a lot more. And let's round out this awesome threesome here with Timo Elliott, a senior director and global innovation evangelist for S. AP. Timo has sent me a quote from E.F. Schumacher when we were speaking before we went on air about why E.F. likes to be called E.F. because his real name is Ernst Friedrich Fritz 
Schumacher. But those of you interested more in what he does rather than what his name is, he's an internationally influential economic thinker, statistician, and economist in Britain, and he's the chief economic advisor to the UK National Coal Board for more than 20 years. So there, here's the quote from E.F. Schumacher. Any intelligent fool can make things bigger and more complex. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. Amen. Timo Elliott, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Paris. It's another beautiful sunny day here. Glad to have the, glad to have you on board, and thank you for taking time out of whatever else you could have been doing in beautiful sunny Paris to join us. So talk to me. How come you picked a quote by Schumacher, and why is it important to our topic, Timo? Well, I chose this quote because I think E.F. Schumacher would have loved to have been on this show. Uh, the quote itself is from a very influential book in the 1970s called Small is Beautiful, a study of economics as if people mattered. And, of course, that's an incredibly contemporary conversation. He believed very strongly in the human side of economics, and he would have been fascinated by the trends that we're going to talk about in this call. Already in the 1970s, he was asking questions about the role of automation in society, and he's pushed strongly for decentralization as part of the answer, hence the, you know, the small is beautiful part of the title. And um, I think a lot of people think innovation and improvement is about adding complexity. But increasingly, it's the opposite. It's about subtraction. A good illustration of this is actually when I purchased his book. Um, you know, in the old days, I would have had to get in the car, use up valuable resources, drive to a store, purchase it, and that would have been hard because it's a fairly specialized book. But now I was able to go online, buy it with a few clicks, and start reading it on my Kindle in, you know, less than two minutes. So the underlying system, of course, is pretty complex. But the real innovation is to make what actually I wanted to do, read the book, as simple as possible. Very interesting. Um, Timo, I'm, I'm very intrigued not only with your choice, and by the way, he lived from 1911 to 1977. So interesting uh, numbers. So he was, was alive for age 66. Very interesting. I'm, I'm very intrigued with the concept that an intelligent fool can make things bigger and more complex complex. That's almost a, 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 what do we call it, a, a, a not a warm fuzzy, a cold prickly. It's, a, it's kind of a passive aggressive comment to people who think that bigger and more complex is really the way to go versus the genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. Any thoughts on who in business today is just still committed to bigger and more complex or has the simplification trend message gotten out to everybody that we know, Timo? Any quick thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think it's the core, of this, the core of this discussion is that he was being passive-aggressive about mm -hmm. the fundamental assumptions behind economics at the time. Um, and we're still having those discussions today about what economics is about and the difference between something being economical and something being the right thing to do for society. Uh, so I do believe that organizations today have made a big step towards realizing the limitations of, you know, old-style, big corporatist business. But um, as the other guests have mentioned, there are some big changes to how we 
think about innovation and what it means to us in terms of uh, employees and human beings and society. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thanks for indulging my question. I have to do a shout-out. We have so many people tweeting. When I get this panel together, whether you, you all started with me on this topic with Brad Borkin on Digital World with Game Changers just a couple of months ago, and here you are on Coffee Break with Game Changers, our long-running flagship show, and it looks like uh, Frank, Gray, and Timo, not only are all of you tweeting, but you've brought your, your uh, shall we say, your posse of fans with you because we have Dean Pappas tweeting. Hello, Dean. Some very interesting comments dean says well of course you're going to keep all those pictures you're going to post them on instagram to see how he says he's going to see how many likes he can get so he can determine his self-worth okay dean you go do that with your pictures we have andreas freund is tweeting today and we have who else kevin mulcahy is tweeting and so far those are the three i see david kish is is with us as well thank you all for sharing your thoughts on hashtag sap radio talk about not having to get in the car to post it on a bulletin board somewhere timo here they are sitting in a desk somewhere tweeting what you and Frank and Gray are saying right here on Twitter while we're speaking live. I'm going to circle it back to Frank, Diana. I know you can't wait to tell me what you're drinking right now, Frank, or what you're thinking about drinking after the show. So let's officially launch into our What's in Your Cup Today segment. Frank, Diana, TCS, go. (laughs) Well, if you recall our last discussion, I was not drinking homemade Italian wine, but I really wanted to. And so today... Because it's almost the middle of August and just about time for me to turn my tomatoes into tomato sauce, I am drinking tomato juice. Is it homemade? Uh, yes, yes. I have all these tomatoes laying around, and they're not ready yet for, uh, for sauce, but they make a great tomato juice, and that's what I'm drinking. So we, we have to know, are there any spices in it? Do you have a stalk of celery? Is there a little bit of something with a kick in it waiting in a glass nearby for after the show? No. Uh, what, just no plain kick. tomato juice? Plain tomato juice with celery and pepper. Uh, uh, that's what I wanted to know, celery and pepper. Thank you very much, Frank. Sounds extremely healthy, and the V8 people are probably very scared right now. <laughs> Gray, Gray Scott, what are you drinking or what are you planning to drink? So, Bonnie, I'm a, cra- a creature of habit. So, as I said last time when we talked, I'm drinking coffee with almond milk and coconut oil. Almond milk with coffee. Well, interesting. Okay. Uh, is there a special kind of coconut oil? I know that there were some that are uh, the high-powered motor oil, they call them, I think. <laughs> no, this is just extra virgin coconut oil. You can get it at Whole Foods or any place like that. Um, and it, you know, it, it sort of supplements having to use any sort of sugar. That's good for your body. And I use it in quinoa waffles every Sunday. For my SO, my significant other, I make a homemade batch of non-sugar quinoa waffles with little coconut flakes and coconut oil and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Chia seeds that are pre-soaked in hot water so that they bloom and help to uh, make the base. Very, very interesting. So there you go. Thank you. Thank you, Gray. Timo Elliott, what does one drink in Paris when one's calling into a radio show? Well, I don't know, Bonnie. Those drinks all sounded fairly complex to me, so I stuck with simple. I have coffee. And what kind of coffee is it? Is it dark? Is it light? What did you put in it? Is it hot or cold? Come on, Timo. Straight drip coffee, simple as can be. It's the future. 
<laughs> I guess it is. And the future is here. Thank you very much. Okay, you know what? We're going to take a quick break. Our topic, if you haven't guessed it from this wonderful start to our conversation, is emerging paradigms and the future of business. I'm speaking today again. My very great pleasure to speak with Frank Diana at TCS. Gray Scott, futurist and emerging tech expert in Timo Elliott at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I plan to be after the break. We're going to go out for a quick 90 seconds, and Frank and I are going to chat about where we're going to launch our 30-minute roundtable. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, and to all of our Twitter fans, Twitter fans, and hashtag SAP Radio, keep the party going. We love to see you. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are having a discussion about emerging paradigms in the future of business. A couple of tweets that have to go mentioned here. Dean Pappas says, sometimes we go to the past to get the future. Timo Elliott, you just can't beat drip coffee. Yay, Timo. Yay, Dean. And Andreas Freund says, Frank Diana, way too healthy. Makes me feel guilty with my coffee. So there, there's a comment for you, Frank, and a comment for you, Timo. Let's get started with the roundtable. Frank Diana sent me some interesting notes about our topic, emerging paradigms. Let me just read a couple, and then, Frank, you can run with this. You say centralization to decentralization, linear to exponential, vertical to horizontal, scarcity to abundance. These shifts will drive a reimagining of just about everything, society, business, government, economies. Frank, Diana, let's kick this off. Go ahead. Well, I I can start by saying just the the number of things you mentioned uh, are troublesome in that they're all happening at the same time, right? So we think about paradigm shifts. It's not like we're dealing with one. We're dealing with a number of them that are converging, and that convergence itself creates a multiplicative or amplifying effect. So there are these specific things dealing with centralization to decentralization, and, of course, that was the topic of our last call. Um, But things like linear to exponential, as the world goes exponential, 
you know, our, our foundation is linear. We think linearly, we're structured linearly, and so we're very ill-equipped to deal with that exponential pace or that exponential world. So all of these things start to happen at the same time. And to me, if you were to pick one thing that makes this future period we're entering the most uh, transformative, it is the fact that there's so many different things enabled by technology and science that are happening at the same time and converging on one another. Thank you. Gray Scott, thoughts on this whole concept of the emerging paradigms? you agree with the scope of them, with the extent of them? Talk to me. I do, actually. And, and it's interesting. What we really have to think about is the idea that exponential change is also exponential digitization. So we're seeing it in all fields, right, whether it's agriculture, whether it's medical uses. What's happening is, is that we're turning the lens of digitization into nature and on our bodies and in our workforce, right? So suddenly we're able to find cures for cancer, able to harvest food with LED lighting, uh, blue and, and purple lighting, uh, increasing harvests for food. We are able to find cures that we never uh, thought could exist before. All of that is because of digitization. You know, we, it's almost like this magic uh, Pandora's box has been opened and out of it comes this exponential change, but it's not just change in the digital world. It's, it's sort of bleeding over into every part of our lives. Is there a starting point to this, Gray? I'll, I'll ask this to you and then to the whole panel. Uh, Timo, I'm going to get you in on this in just a second. Uh, this, this exponential change, is there a point where you could draw a dot in the sand or take a grain of sand and say, aha, here's where we can identify the start of this wave, this emerging paradigm? They just started here. Or did they kind of sneak up on us over a period of time? Gray? Someone asked me this question recently, and I've sort of focused around something that has sort of escaped all of us, is that when we had the ability to call each other, that was, to me, that was the point where things changed. You have to remember, communication drives innovation. And so when you have the ability to reach out to someone across the planet using a phone, remember when the, fir- the fo- first phones were invented, right? So two scientists could compare notes. Think about the, the exponential change from writing a letter and how that letter had to travel versus getting on the phone with some- someone. So increase that rate of change to the digital world where we're using smartphones where we can actually see each other and see what we're working on. That is where, for me, that's where the, the whole sh- Timo, join us. Well, for me, I think it's, uh, I think it has crept up on us. It's, we talked in the last show, I think, about the second half of the chessboard, the notion that if you're on an exponential curve, then there's just sort of fairly suddenly a point where things make a really big jump because it's been slowly built up, built up, doubling, 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 and suddenly each doubling makes a huge difference. So I think it's caught us by surprise, and um, I don't think you can pick any one point and say that was the instance that everything changed. Frank, Diana, agree, yeah, disagree? No, no, don't disagree at all. It definitely has crept up on us. But I, in my conversations with folks, it, there's a one year that always stands out in terms of people pointing to that's when things really started to get exponential, and that's 2007. So for whatever reason, uh, folks point to around the 2000s, and maybe it's the iPhone, maybe it's the smartphone, whatever it was, that there's been this exponential pace that's just kind of exploded since that time frame. So it seems to be the, the point in time where folks point to. Okay. 
I think we've uh, we've gone around on that one. Frank, while I have you, let's talk a little bit about acceleration before I move into some of Gray's topics. That which leaders expect to happen in 10 years is likely to happen much faster. And then here's the, the thing I want you to talk about. Our future predictions are now too conservative. Is this across the board? Yeah, I, I would say that in the past, um, you know, we were pretty gung-ho about technology and our predictions were, were missing the mark. But I think the opposite is now true. Um, and there's some work that Ray Kurzweil of Google has done on this law of accelerating returns, if you will. Um, but because everything is being information-enabled, as Gray said, you know, the world's being digitized, and because there's a convergence of the sciences with technology, this acceleration is just likely to explode, right? So we, don't, we haven't seen anything yet in the context of acceleration. And so from that perspective, you know, our vantage point says, well, that's going to happen maybe 10, 15 years, and it's likely to happen a lot faster than we think. And so what does that mean for businesses from a planning perspective, from a strategy perspective? Your horizons in terms of planning are collapsing considerably. And so I think the biggest implication of all this is really the lens we view things on, how we view that future has to be much shorter a vantage point than we're used to. Thank you. Gray, thoughts on this? I agree with that. I I think we've been way too conservative. Uh, You have to also remember there are specific drivers not only for businesses but for nations. So we're seeing uh, just recently the first unmanned factory in China. And what that means is that that driver, creating the first unmanned factory and and showing the statistics of of how productive that factory can become is going to be the driver that pushes other factories in other nations to do the same thing. That's exponential change. And so, you know, if you would have said a year ago, oh, you know, unmanned factories are coming – you know, a lot of the conservative futurists would say, well, that's 10 years off, and it's here. So we have to be very careful not to underestimate exponential change. Timo, do you agree or disagree? Our future predictions are now too conservative. Absolutely. We're starting to see some huge uh, gains in robotics. The uh, DARPA series of uh, experiments is often cited as uh, an example of exponential change in action. The first time they organized the DARPA challenge with autonomous vehicles trying to cross um, a a piece of desert, then almost nobody made it. And then just a few years later, they were able to do it with ease. And now we've got cars uh, going up and down Highway 101 uh, with no problem at all. So it's it's happening faster than we think. Thank you very much. Uh, any wrap-up on that one, Frank? I'm going to move into some of Gray's topics here. Any thoughts you want to want to uh, tie this thread up for me? Nope, I think we've, we've covered everything. I think the main point, though, I, I focus on the information enablement of everything because I think at the, at the foundation of all this, it's that. Okay, thank you. Gray Scott, very provocative comment here in the notes you sent me. I'd like to start this part of the conversation with the following question. Will corporations survive a decentralized automated future if everyone can harvest energy, can harvest food, and can harvest raw materials? And your answer is maybe if these corporations change their core ideologies. Why don't you expand this for us, Grace Scott, please? Sure. Well, when we think of decentralization, what's happening is that the exponential change on this planet is allowing in the individual to create their own form of uh, harvesting energy and food and raw materials. Now, we, we haven't gotten to the place of harvesting raw materials at this point, but that's coming. The way that we get there, the way that the individual becomes a decentralized 
uh, supply chain for themselves is using self-replicating machines that harvest raw materials. Those machines could then send, using drones or any sort of robotic systems, could send those raw materials to people wherever they are using your app or your phone or your smart device and send that to their 3D printer where their 3D printer could print whatever it is that they need. So let's say you want to uh, print a, a set of, of dishware or a set of uh, knives or anything like that. You, you need those raw materials to get to your 3D printer so that you can print out those uh, objects. If we can do that as individuals and decentralize that, then what happens to the corporations? Why would we need a corporation to manufacture those things if we can change the supply chain and do it ourselves? So corporations really need to rethink that idea. And it, this is not fairy tale. This is happening. Mm-hmm. So we really need to rethink the supply chain and uh, the idea of decentralization. Gray, let's pull this back to the comment Frank just made. Our future predictions are now too conservative. So I'll ask you to ground this in some kind of uh, prediction statement if you don't mind me pushing this. When is this going to happen? When are we going to see this decentralized automated future? How worried should the CEOs of big corporations who are involved in this, this major feeding and supplying supply chain for humanity today, when should they start losing sleep? I think if you don't already have a digital or or digitization decentralized plan for your company, you're already in trouble. And the reason I say that is because we already have on the market right now uh, 3D printers that can print clothing and fabric, Mm -hmm. 3D printers that can print full circuit boards with the soldering material in the, the printing itself. Mm. That, that alone should, should tell you how far we've come and 3D printers that can print food. So, we're already there. It's just not commercialized, and it hasn't been uh, pushed to the mass market yet. But these things exist. So companies that say, well, this is 2020, you know, this is far off, this is 2020 or 2025, we should be worried about this, absolutely wrong. And, and it worries me that a lot of the big companies who I think there's a mentality that they think they're untouchable, decentralization is chipping away at their market. Look at Uber. Look at what Uber has done to drivers around the world. That's that example of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Well put. I have a comment here from Dean Pappas on Twitter. He says, Uber has decentralized taxis and governments, we all know which ones, are working mm-hmm. to stop it. Will this model be duplicated? I know New York City, the Taxi and Limo Commission has been urging Mayor de Blasio to fight it, and he came to some kind of a, uh, a, a kind of a peaceful, let's wait and see, tell us how Uber really is impacting traffic patterns in New York. So that was kind of put on hold, but I know governments around the world are trying to stop it. I'm not sure if it's the model itself or it's the fact that they think it's, uh, number one, might be unsafe, number two, the drivers aren't being paid equitably or taken care of in the terms of benefits and number three um it's taking away dollars from the existing taxi organization so all kinds of issues come up uh timo elliott let's get you in on this conversation what do you think about decentralization what what's happening to the core ideologies how fast do they have to change I think companies absolutely have to spend time thinking about these trends and how they apply to their business. So how do we make this more practical and pragmatic for them? What do they actually have to do to survive? What does that digitization plan look like? That's what I'm fascinated by. 
tell me a little bit more. What what are you fascinated about? What what do you think is going to happen with it? If if you close your eyes and you see, and you're going to be less conservative in your predictions, Timo, what would you say? Well, first, uh, let me go back to an overused phrase, which is game-changing. But I, I love that phrase because it honestly is what's happening. The mm-hmm. game is changing in all of these different industries, and everybody's struggling to figure out what the new game looks like and to figure out how to play. And it sometimes feels like companies are trying to use, like, a fishing rod to hit a fastball. Um, you know, it's today's taxis companies, right? The world has changed, and they're wasting time complaining about the rules rather than investing in a better bat. Um, what's key, I believe, for today's organization is to spend a lot of time trying to understand what the rules of the new game are. What business are they actually in? Because it might be different from the business they were in 10 years ago or even five years ago. Very well put, and I think that's a sticking point for a lot of industries that are seeing change. Uh, Airbnb with hotels. Oh, Uber, we've got all kinds of other opportunities where people are just not, they're not seeing it. They just don't get it. They're just fighting and kicking and screaming, and they don't get what they're all, what they should be all about. Frank, Diana, join us. Thoughts on this? Yeah, too many to mention on the call. It's, uh, this is, to me, this is the fascinating part of the conversation, because as mm-hmm. I said earlier, it's really the rules of the game and our belief systems that have to change, and, and they will. But you're going to continue to see protectionist behaviors, whether it's governments or companies, to try to block some of this stuff. You know, they thought they would do that when the media industry was disrupted years ago, and obviously we saw how that book ended, right? So you can't – you can maybe slow down progress. You can't stop it. So the question is, on what timelines does some of this happen? And I believe that's really what the struggle is for most executives is, you know, what is the timeline? I'm in business today to make money, right? How do I address that timeline at the same time not cannibalize my existing business and revenue streams? And that's the challenge. I don't think that they uh, intentionally put their head in the sand. I think they're struggling with exactly a path forward, uh, what are the new rules of the game. And I completely agree with Timo uh, in terms of uh, companies really need to understand what the business they're in is or will be in the future. And, and I am starting to see some of those conversations happening. Thank you. And Timo, this is Timo you, you pointed yep. out the biggest problem right now when you talked about how uh, companies are d- uh, trying to figure out how not to cannibalize their business. But, of course, if they don't cannibalize it, somebody else will. Every organization out there should have a plan to cannibalize their own business or they're going to fail. Yeah, and if I could just add, but at the, at the root of some of this, and, and I've run across this in the last two months specifically, is that we keep saying digitization, but if you think about the core employee base in most of these companies, it's not like they're, they're overrun with digital natives, right? And so there is a challenge in most traditional companies in terms of who they have on their payrolls and what other mechanisms might they use to leverage talent and skills, like the staff-on-demand models or leveraging the crowd or the community to actually add value in, into, their, uh, into their company? So, I mean, the number of conversations here right at the root of it is, you know, do companies have what it takes to actually make these mental model shifts? Mm-hmm. And that's a perfect lead-in. And, Timo, I'm glad you jumped in there and, Frank, back at you. Uh, Timo, I'm looking at your notes here, some interesting things. Apparently you have a story you want to tell us, but let me lead into the story. Timo says, as marketing guru Theodore Levitt famously explained in his book, The Marketing Imagination, people buy holes, not drill bits. Everybody get a mental image of that. They're buying the hole that the drill bit makes, not the drill bit. They don't want a product. We don't want a product. We want the benefit of the product. What does it do for us? How does it improve our 
our lives? How does it make us feel? Timo, this is a lead-in for you to share a story about your blinds. Oh, so I'm, I'm in a big, I'm a big uh, believer in uh, taking. If we, in order to figure out where we're going, you first have to take a big step back, go back to basics, go back to the very core of what you do as an organization and as a business. And a lot of the theory behind this has been around for a while. We talked about Theodore Levitt. There's also uh, Professor Clayton Christensen, who wrote about the notion of creative destruction. And uh, this is one of his big themes, that people, they don't buy products, they don't buy services. They really buy an answer. They have a job to be done, and they buy what they need to get that job done. And there's been a big change in how you can provide that job, all of the examples we've already talked about. And so there are companies like uh, so Red Bull. You know, it's, it's a drinks company, but at the same time, they've slowly become a sort of adrenaline medium biz- media business that just happens to sell energy drinks on the side. And traditional companies that sell things like cars are trying to figure out what job to be done is it that they sell. If you, do you buy a Mercedes to get from A to B, or is it to impress people? Is it to reward yourself for the hard work you've done in your career? Are they in the car business, the luxury business, the transportation business? Those are really tough questions to answer. But until they've done that, they don't have a hope of knowing where they're going. Um, I can't remember what the blinds is about. <laughs> <laughs> you said, ask me about my blind store. You put it in quotes in the notes, and I highlighted it. Is it Venetian blinds? Is it duck blinds? Was it something? Do you, you want to set of, <laughs> Were you looking for window uh, closures or something, Timo? Yeah, or do you no, live in I, a, I don't have blinds on my windows, and <laughs> the heat is coming in in the middle of summer. But obviously, there's so much heat that it's addling my brains, and I cannot for the life of me remember how I was going to link that to innovation. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I have one more thought I want to do before I bring Frank and Gray into this. You talk about innovating through subtraction. You've already talked a little bit about unbundling. Uh, question is, is that a key word? Is that a future-looking word, unbundling the opportunity from new technology to unbundle? And uh, things like the Mercedes well, can be unbundled. Talk to me. Go ahead. I think it's part of that, that trend towards uh, decentralization and simplization is, is that products that were monolithic have now been broken into much smaller, more agile products. So uh, the newspaper business is a classic example. It's been in turmoil because newspapers, it turns out, were actually a completely artificial bundle of different jobs to be done. They just happened to be bought and sold as one product. But now it doesn't make any sense to keep them together. So, uh, you know, newspapers provided news. But we get sort of breaking news over websites or Twitter. Um, it was funded a lot by classified ads. Famously, that's gone to Craigslist or it's gone to Google Ads. It also provided entertainment. But now you go to things like uh, BuzzFeed or Gawker for celebrity news. Each aspect of what used to be a bundled product is now bought and sold separately according to what people like. And that's really happening with every type of product. 
So yeah, what does it mean for Mercedes to be unbundled? Does it mean the luxury part is, can be separated from the transportation part? I think these are fascinating questions that uh, companies have to deal with as they're looking forward to their future. But, Timo, before I invite Frank and Gray in on this, who has the mindset in the big companies today to understand what the three of you were talking about today, the unbundling and the future future decentralization and the ecosystem rather than just a particular industry and the, the abundance rather than the scarcity. This whole new mindset the three of you are talking about, this emerging paradigms, do, do the people heading the biggest existing companies today do they get it? Do they see it? Do they know what to do with it? Are they going to be blindsided? Just a quick note from you, Timo, and then I'll have Frank and Gray comment. What do you see? Well, I think there are definitely some blind spots. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. the people who get it are the people that are creating those new niche products. They're saying, you know what? Uh, you know, Banks are a great example of a bundled product uh, that's changing rapidly. I, I end up paying a lot of money to have some people essentially storing some numbers in a computer for me, because that's what a bank account really is, a bunch of numbers in some mm-hmm. very secure computers. But now there are people that are selling, that, you know, you have electronic payments as being carved out as a market niche. You're having people do a currency exchange as a market niche. We're starting to see Facebook being able to send money to another Facebook user. So that that core notion of I have a bank that does all of my money stuff for me is rapidly going away. So, But it's really hard for the banks to compete because they see it as one thing when it's a whole bunch of different markets. Okay, Frank Diano, from your perch at TCS, what do you see? Do, do the leaders of business, we used to call them, I think, the captains of industry. I don't know what they're called today. I don't know what kind of hat they're wearing or they, they would like to design. I think Gray Scott's going to design a new hat for all of these former captains of industries, <laughs> looking at Gray's futuristic picture. Gray, I, I, I love this picture. Uh, but, Frank, what do you see? Do you agree with, with Timo? Is there going to be some blind spots here? Well, there are there are blind spots, but I see two different distinct uh, challenges here. One is at the leadership level, although you know in my my discussions, some leaders clearly see it, uh, maybe a little overwhelmed uh, and in uh, unable to move because of it being overwhelmed. But they see some of this. But then in conversation with them, they've got an organization um, immature. They don't exhibit the attributes of what you would consider an exponential company, like an Uber, for example. And, and admittedly, they grew up in the digital space, whereas these companies have legacy environments that they have to deal with. But whether the leader gets it or not, the bigger challenge is, can they, at the core of their businesses, make these things happen? Or do they have to rely on other mechanisms, like maybe doing it at the edge of their businesses and, and unencumber themselves from the core? So there's a leadership issue, but again, I think the bigger issue is the core business is just not structured for the world that we live in today. And what does that say about the survival of these core businesses, Frank? Are they going to wake up one day and find out that their stock shares have tumbled and that the the public's belief in them is no longer of great uh, people lining up at the door or, or basically coming on their website with such force that they can't handle it? Are they going to find that people are going to the companies that do get it what do you see a mass exodus of uh, exodus of customers and shareholders for companies that don't understand this soon enough there was actually a washington university study that said between now and 2025 uh, 40% of the fortune 500 will disappear i mean you, you see various uh, estimates mm-hmm. or you know those kinds of things right and i do believe that a number of big brands will disappear i think i said this on the last radio program uh, because 
quite frankly, the adaptability of, the, of today's company, the responsiveness of today's company, the, the speed at which they operate, all those things work against them, and they just can't keep pace with these new, new more lean kinds of companies. And so the question becomes on what timeline as opposed to when they disappear, unless, unless they're somehow able to retrench and become those kinds of exponential organizations that uh, Uber is, for example. Thank you very much, Gray Scott. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. We've covered a lot of territory since we spoke to you last. Talk to me. So, you know, in in part of the uh, statement that I sent you, I was talking about how corporations need to change their core ideology. So Mm -hmm. the three stages that I'm thinking about and have been thinking about for a little while is that we were in, for a very long time, we were in the business of, uh, corporations were in the business of providing supplies and objects. And we've moved away from that to a convenience economy where we make it convenient for you to get what you need. But now we're moving into the future of something like the empowerment economy. So it's not about giving the person an object. It's not about giving them the convenience. Uh, It's about giving them the power to supply themselves, right? So the empowerment economy is where we're moving, and I don't think corporations can or have really understood that. Now, there there are a few that have. So, for example, Google understands this. This is why they're creating the self-driving cars. Uber understands this, that their whole business model is wrapped around the the empowerment economy because not only can you become the driver, you can become a business owner. You can become uh, the person who gets the car. So there's sort of this circular idea of empowering people, that to me is the future of business. If you want to get down to the core of what is the future of business and where should corporations aim their focus for the future, because of digitization and putting the power of digitizing every part of our lives in our hands, that idea of focusing on empowering people, that's what's going to help some of these corporations survive. Whether they make that transition or not, and I, I agree with what Frank said about 40% of the corporate, these Fortune 500 companies being gone, those companies that, that refuse to believe that decentralization, decentralization is, is approaching rapidly, those are the companies that are, that are going to fail. But the companies that embrace empowerment and the empower, empowerment economy, those are the companies that are going to succeed through this transition. Hey, can I jump in, Frank? Please. Please, Just a question for Gray. Um, mm. Talking about empowerment and using Uber as the example, if the end game for Uber is, is a driverless fleet of cars where the driver is no longer required, how does that mm. kind of map to the notion of empowerment? Well, part of this is that the end game is unavoidable because of decentralization. So what's happening is, is what we're going through right now is building the bridge to a new paradigm. There is no sustainability within the, the corporate identity. That, that is a, a, a groundbreaking idea to get your head around. But any corporation that believes that in 100 years the same model for the corporation will exist doesn't understand decentralization. They, if you understand what's happening, the individual is becoming empowered. The digital cosmos, the digital world that we are creating allows me to create my own supply chain and communicate directly with another human being, and, and those two people can, can move information about, they can move supplies about, without having that third-party corporation being involved. That is, is where we're headed, and this, this phase that we're moving into is just the bridge 
to that new paradigm. Great, thanks. Gray, who, who gets that, Gray? Is this a millennial mindset? Is this a Gen Y mindset? Who in, in the population would listen to this and say, Gray, you're talking my talk. I'm walking that walk already. I get it. I'm creating my own ecosystem. I'm going to write the next chapter to the Future of Business book because I'm with you. I'm walking alongside of you. Who gets this? Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's it's the millennials and the new generation of, of children that have grown up, really, who are about to graduate high school and move into uh, higher education. That group of, of kids, you have to remember, they grew up in a world where they could press a button and get whatever they wanted. I mean, think about that. They, they could press a button on their magic phone, <laughs> their magic mm-hmm. smartphone, and a shirt <laughs> would appear or a, a box with shoot new, a new pair of shoes would appear. The, you, you can't tell these, this, this generation, you can't tell them that they can't do something. That, that's the one thing that we need to really understand. They believe in the impossible. I said last time that we need to, that we need to embrace the impossible because this generation is creating the impossible now. And decentralization will allow them to manifest, literally manifest the raw materials through robotics and automation and all that, and print whatever they want. I mean, you can't underestimate mm-hmm. the idea that you can have this machine in your home that can print anything that you want. That, to me, is so miraculous. And if you haven't worked with a 3D printer, if you haven't had your hands on a 3D printer, it's hard to get your head around that. Mm-hmm. But the companies that have and that, that understand that idea, those are the companies that are embracing this, this uh, bridge to a new paradigm. Well put. I, I had a, and, have a uh, go ahead. Yes, Timo, please. Yeah, this is this is Timo. I think uh, one of the examples where we can really see the empowerment at work is in the a- area of creativity and sharing. Uh, it turns out that people have a very strong urge to make and share and build on things, whether it's YouTube or open source software or making sure that a Wikipedia article is as well written as possible. Uh, people we really want to share, and I think part of the empowerment is organizations that can leverage that form of empowerment are thriving. And as we go forward, I think co-innovation with customers, working with customers to figure out uh, how companies can work with their customers to create something together. This idea that I make something and I sell it to you and that's the transaction, I think that's what's going away with this notion of empowerment. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to empower the three of you to put on your future futuristic hats and get ready for the crystal ball predictions round because we have seven minutes left to the end of the show. We have been talking about the future, but we're going to focus on a future time point. I have to tell the three of you, you brought quite a party to Twitter. I cannot even keep up with the retweets. We have Andreas and Dean and Kevin and TCS SAP Alliance and David. They're just tweeting so fast. I, I We must have had over 50 tweets, maybe even closer to 100. Brad Bork at SAP, of course. I wish I had time to read all of the tweets, but there's some very provocative and insightful comments here. Uh, here, David Kish says, millennial is a value system. You don't need to be 20 to be a millennial. <laughs> Does anybody want to agree or disagree with that? Gray? Gray, what do you think? I, well, I agree. I mean, I think what's happening and what we're starting to see is is a generational shift where you, you're seeing people in their 50s and 60s who are embracing 
the digital idea, the, the decentralization idea. And once that paradigm shifts generationally, that is what's causing this uh, exponential change to occur. Okay, and Dean Pappas says... I, I, how... I strongly believe the millennial mindset yes, is all about yes. deciding not to stop learning. <laughs> Just ah. like we've been talking about companies struggling to change, it's because they got to the point and then said, you know what, this is good enough for us, we're just going to stay here. And uh, that's, uh, you can have that mindset at any age. I think uh, millennials don't, you know, they're not set in stone, but I think the people that are 20 now have just the same chances of deciding not to change when they get to 30, 35 as we did. But I certainly make a conscious effort to say to myself, no, I am going to learn about that new thing, even though I yes. feel like... I don't necessarily need to know about, you know, whatever, Snapchat or whatever the, new, the next new thing is. Timo, do you remember turning 35? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that wasn't that a jab old. at you. I don't. I, I, can't. <laughs> I, I don't remember 40 and 50 is a distant memory, but what can I say? I'm here talking to the three of you. Guess what? Uh, I'm telling you, in your future, we have to come back and do this again. And Timo, you and I are going to have a little sidebar, maybe with Frank involved and Gray, about starting a series called The Future with Game Changers. I think we need a mini series, Timo, because this is just too huge a topic for every couple of months on the existing Game Changers shows. We only have 18 series. My mind is wide open, so why not make it 19? <laughs> Timo, we will have that conversation for next year. Uh, in the meantime, guess what? Oh, my goodness. Four minutes left. I wanted to give you more time for predictions. Frank, Diana, I love 2020. You know that, but it's coming so fast. I don't know if it's even in the future anymore. I think it's tomorrow. So talk to me. Frank, Diana, predictions. I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds. What's your best on emerging paradigms? Will we even call them emerging paradigms? Tell me your future view. One minute, go. Okay. I will focus on 2020 this time because I really do think okay. the next five years we're going to see tr dramatic change. Um, and I think we're going to see more evidence-based discussions around this stuff as opposed to speculation. So uh, between now and 2020, lots of evidence around these paradigm shifts will have already played out, and we'll be able to talk about those and the, their impacts to business, society, and economies. I do think, based on what I said before, that our time horizons will shrink. We'll, we'll actually, what we think is taking 10 years, we'll start to see 18 months a year, and it's continue to shrink. And, and a really big one here, and I'll, I'll pass it on, there are estimates that say between 2014 and 2025 there could be seven more law cycles, which potentially drives a 128-fold increase in raw computing power. Think about the implications of that to the exponential pace that we already know and speak of today. I mean, just amazing to think about. Wow, that's a lot to think about for a closing remark there. Grace Scott, 60 seconds, predictions, you're up. Go. So I do think by 2025, the world is going to look very different than it looks today. Uh, as we move towards that decentralization uh, stage, the, the bridge to a new paradigm, as it were, that core ideology of how we share, how we improve our lives will change, and corporations will have a huge role in that. The future, I believe, is, is the empowerment economy of future. And that will, be also, that will also be disrupted. So after that, that really is the question. What comes after the empowerment economy where everyone, everyone has the power to supply themselves with food, housing, clothing? What does that world look like? Mm. 
Good question. Thank you very much. Leave leave us with a provocative thought there, as always. Timo Elliott, prediction, 60 seconds. Go. I want to bring it back to people. Uh, innovation is all about people. First of all, uh, employees of today's organizations. The biggest problem is not ideas, it's execution. You have to have the people that are currently working for you helping you with that innovation, not resisting it. And so it has to make sense for them to do that. Uh, Another E.F. Schumacher quote from the same book, to organize work in such a manner that it becomes meaningless, boring, stultifying, or nerve-wracking for the worker would be little short of criminal. Every organization has to leverage the innovation power of their employees if they're going to have a chance. And then the other human aspect is your customers. You have to work with your customers to create something new. You can't do it without them anymore. Mm-hmm. All good thoughts. I have a quick question for Gray Scott. The future of business. In five years, if you wrote a sequel, what would it be called if you're already in the future of business? I, I think it would be called the, the future of humanity. I mean, oh, what, what does... I, what does it look like? What, is, what does our species look like in the future? I mean, how do we treat each other in a future where money may not exist? That's a very uh, controversial idea. And when I spoke recently at the Global Leadership Conference uh, at the London Business School, uh, someone actually laughed in the audience when I said there may not be money in the future. But you have to remember there was a time when there wasn't money on this planet. So That's we, right. we may... This, yeah. We have to cap it at that. We are completely out of time. I opened up a new a new Pandora's box here, Frank Diana <laughs> at TCS. Thank you, Grace Scott, futurist extraordinaire. Futurist extraordinaire. Thank you, Timo Elliott, SAP. Thank you. We have to come back. I'll invite you all. I think we're almost out of dates for this year. We'll get a date in early 2016, or we'll just start a whole new series on the future of the future. I like that title a lot. Shout out to all of our tweeters. You're too many of you. You were so active. We had over... I believe, 100 different tweets during the show. I love a Twitter party. Thank you to everyone. Everybody go look at hashtag SAP Radio for the last hour. You will see the amazing tweets, the independent thoughts, and capturing of my panelists' words of wisdom. Thank you to Frank Gray and Timo again. Brad and the Business Channel team, thank you very much. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and it's been a wonderful time here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'll be back tomorrow with the future of business, the show, the future of business with Game Changers. We do have one. Have a great day, everyone. And remember, here my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? You don't know where that vehicle is going to lurch you into the future. So go out and be a game changer today, right now. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.